part. Good morning. This could happen to anybody in the world, any person, any family in the world. Let's read what it is. We're going to go to Luke chapter 15. And it is uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And it's right through to 32. Luke chapter 15, and it is verse 11. We're going to, from there, we're going to continue on. And it's the story and the parable of the lost son. Felt the Lord putting this on my heart. It seems a bit of a strange one to be doing in a church where we do mostly teaching. But interesting that the Lord has taken me on this one. So let's begin at verse 11. And Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, The younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wide living. And after he had spent everything there, there was a famine. And the whole country, and sorry, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to work with the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And he was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field, and when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked, What was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has come back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look at all these years. 
I've been slaving for you, never disobeying your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes and came home and he killed the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you were always with me and everything I have is yours. But we have to celebrate and be glad because your brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And may the Lord bless that word to us and really, really bless that word to us. The many times that I've preached on this particular um, piece of scripture, and um, I've often thought about it, but there's something in this story that really gets me every time. And I want to put it into a modern context so that we can sort of get the, the feel for it. We can try and get the flavor of it. Um, it is a great story. And even the notary uh, um, book critic, critic Robert Bridges, he says that this is a flawless piece of work. And it really is a flawless piece of work. It's a story of a young man who didn't know what, he didn't know when he was well off really. He had a loving, godly mother and father. He lived in a lovely home and they had servants. And you know, he had absolutely everything. He had a father who had a watchful eye. It's always good for a father who has children to have a watchful eye and to see what their children are getting up to. He wanted to live the life on his own to do it his way. But his father said, you know, his father and him, they seem to have problems with each other all the time. Putting it into a modern context, they lived in a lovely big farm, a massive big farm. They had this lovely house that they lived in. They had servants. They had everything going for them. They, they had this massive farm with, with all the animals on, the beasts that they have on it. And it was, it was going to be his one day. Him and his brother would be running this whole ship. The whole thing would all belong to him. But his younger son had other ideas. And so his father and him would come into conflict on a regular basis. You know what it is to come in conflict with your parents, do you? Fall out with them? Slam the door or walk off? Yeah, we've all done it, haven't we? Yeah, we've all done it. I once seen my father and my brother used to, used to clash with each other all the time. My father and I got on brilliant because the two of us were sort of the same kind of guys and we got on really well. But my other brother used to fall out with them all the time. And my mother made um, apple tart one night, loads of apple tarts. She always made loads of apple tarts. She's brilliant at it, and I loved them. So she set one of them on the little um, coffee table and some tea, and my brother and my father fell out over something. Yes, I know what it was. My brother kept saying, Mom, bring me a cup of tea. Mom, bring me sugar. My father said, you've got legs on you. Go and get it. So my, my brother said, well, it's nothing to do with you. And he sort of got up and slammed the door and walked out. Of course, my dad was really angry about this. Lifted the apple tart, threw it towards the door. It stuck to the door and slid down the door. Yeah. And my mum said, well, that's it. I'll not be making no more of them. <laughs> We've all had that, haven't we? We've all fell out with our parents. So um, this young man was no different from anybody else. And he was constantly in battle with his father. And... Um, one day he said to his father, he said, look, Dad, look, you and me, we're, we're, we're always constantly falling out with each other all the time. How about you give me, um, how about you give me my estate? Give me my inheritance. Give me everything that comes due to me. Well, that must have been really hard for him. Looking at what his son was saying to him, it was, it was a serious piece of work that when you think about it, because in the Near East where they came from, what he was entitled to through um, Deuteronomy, if you look at that in verse or sorry, chapter 21, you will see that the estate, when it was divided up, that the younger would only have got a, a, a third of the estate. The older one got two thirds. That's how it worked. 
So he was getting a third. So he split it up between his brother and himself. And so he would have had to go and sell the property, if you can imagine that. A farm that's been in the family for years. It's many generations. And here he is, the younger son is selling it off the assets so he can get his money. And they're all, I mean, you could imagine it, couldn't you? Them sitting around the table, they're having their dinner. They're at, and young, the young lad sitting there, the dad saying to him, look, son, what are you thinking about here? Why, why do you want to do this? Look, dad, stop giving me a hard time. I really know what I want to do. I want to go out there. I want to see the world. I want to get away from all of this. I'm sick of it all. I really want to get away from all of this. I want to get away from being in your control. And I want to live my own life. Now, you can imagine living in a small community like that. The shame of it all. The shame. The shame that it would have come to that family because in, in that society that they lived in, it was all about respect. It really boils down to respect. And so the villagers were probably going, that's shocking. That young fella selling off all that property. That's terrible. Oh, you know, it wouldn't happen in our house. You know, it's terrible. You know, you know, it's, it's amazing when you're a parent, when you're standing looking at other kids. Like the other night, we seen a um, couple of girls and they were walking about. And honestly, I mean, their clothes were shocking. If it was my daughter, they wouldn't have been walking out the door, let alone walk about the place. And running laughs at me when I say, well, it was our house, it wouldn't be happening. You know, you watch those programs on TV, don't you, where you see the SOS nanny, whatever it is, she comes in and try and sort your children out. And I'm, I'm standing looking at them going, well, how did they let their children get like that? It wouldn't be happening in my house. <laughs> We all think that, don't we? With You know, we can do a better job. And here this young lad, he's saying to his son, you don't want to do this. Stay here. Stay within the family. We'll be able to do things. No, Dad, I said, I need to get away. I want to go to a far-off country and I want to see the world. And so the shame of that must have been absolutely horrendous. And so he heads off, gathers his gear all up, off he goes, and he wants to live the life he wants to live. He leaves the father, off he goes, takes all the stuff that he has in the world and he, he, he takes himself off to a foreign land. Well, he's really living it up, isn't he? I mean, he's got himself the best wee apartment you've ever seen. He's going out every night onto the town with his friends and he gets all these friends all of a sudden because he's got a load of money. He's living up the life. He's meeting all these different people. He's going into the best restaurants. He's going tipping off the old maitre d's to get the best seats in the house. And he doesn't have to worry about it. Because these guys know every time he comes in, he's loaded. He has friends. At least he thinks he has friends. And there he is, living it up. Meantime, back at home, his father's worrying about him. He's sitting at the kitchen table. They built this beautiful house and this beautiful house has the, the usual, the kitchen at the back and they're sitting in the back and he's looking out the window right up the lane from where they come from, looking out and saying, I wonder where he is. I wonder how he's getting on. The father never forgets about his son. He never forgets about his children. He's not interested in anything else. The older son's coming in and saying, you know what, Dad, the price of meal's gone up. They, you know, we really are struggling with this. He said, look, son, whatever it costs, just pay it. He's thinking about the younger lad. He comes back and he said, you know what, Dad, the price of deals is up. You know, it really is, it's, it's going through the roof. Ah, oh, son, doesn't matter, pay it. You know, let's get on with it. The father is only interested about the son who's left. He wants to know where he is. He, he worries about him. But meanwhile, the son that has left squandering all the money he has and he really is living it up but it's, it's running out. The luxury apartment, 
the luxury lifestyle, the so-called friends that he has, well, they're all around him, aren't they? Loads of friends. Everything's going well until it all runs done. And that's when it all starts to go to pieces. It didn't matter that it came from the Father. It didn't matter what he had. Once it all came, once it all left him, that was it. He was free. Once he got away from his father, he was free. He was going out to make his own life. Didn't matter how much it cost him. It didn't matter. He had it all. And when you consider the story of the way it is, how many people you meet who are like that, who will say, I'd be much better off if I left this place. I'd be much better off if I was away somewhere else. You look over the fence and you say to yourself, well, the, the grass is greener over there. I could do that. The money ran out and there was a famine that came to the land and this is where all the problems began for that young lad because that green field that he thought was greener than green turned out to be a pasture that was absolutely dry and the famine really hit. And he's a young Jew, remember, and here he is. You know, Jesus is using this parable to talk to the the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are really struggling with this story. It's interesting when you read through this, when you really look into it, the Pharisees are really interested in what Jesus is saying here because for their take on it, they just cannot get their head around this. So this young man is now looking for work, and he gets work. And he gets work looking after pigs, of all things. Dirty, stinking pigs. Oh my goodness. You couldn't ask for a worse job. Where I used to live years and years ago, when I was only a young, a young boy, we lived in Agustown in Portadown. And behind us was Denny's factory. And in those days, they used to slaughter the pigs. And we used to go over at the summer months to, and now, Jai, we used to go over and watch the pigs going in for slaughter. Oh my goodness, the smell was horrendous. It's still to this day, every smell pig, I always think of those things. Horrendous. It's just something that I never really enjoyed doing. My friends used to say, let's go over and watch the pigs. Oh, terrible. But he took this job working with pigs. And by this stage, here he is having to, pay, or having to feed these pigs with these pods. And now the pods are interesting. The story behind the pods that he, that he, that he feeds the pigs are from the, they're, they're from the carob tree. And they're, carob, they're, they're long, long pods. Now, the interesting thing about these pods is the pigs can eat them and digest them easily, but humans can't. And when I was looking at these things, wondering what on earth are these things that they're talking about, it's interesting to note that what he was actually doing was when they, he would break them open and there's little beans inside of it, he would scoop the beans out of the way and he would take the pulp and he would fring, take his finger down this juicy pulp that's in the side of it and he would sup on this. Now I wouldn't think there would be tremendously good nutritional value in it, but interesting to note that the carob um, pods themselves, they contain iron, Magnesium, calcium, vitamins A, B2, B3 and D. And plus, it's all fat free. <laughs> but interesting to note that the core of pods, if you grind those down, in fact, if you take that pulp out of the inside of it, it tastes like chocolate. Interesting, isn't it? It tastes like chocolate. And what they do with this stuff is, when they grind it down, they actually make fake chocolate with it because if you're allergic to chocolate, this is the stuff that they use to give you fake chocolate. To my mind, anything that's fat-free is not going to be nice, okay? 
you want to make it taste nice, you got to get the fatty stuff in it, okay? You see that, you know, that you know you buy the, the, the light butter and all that stuff, right? I avoid that with a plague. That's terrible stuff. You know, you know we've eaten that. We've got a bit of fat in it, it's going to taste good. What do you reckon, Tim? Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so here, that they, they take this, this stuff, they take these coral pods and they, they grind them down. Then they make fake chocolate with this. It, apparently it's, it's, it's amazing and, and that's what they do with this. And this guy was taking all the pulp out of the inside of it with his finger and supping on this. The pigs were, this was falling out of their mouths and he was opening this up and scooping the stuff out and supping on it. Can you imagine what it is that you have everything back at home, you've got it all going there. Lovely home, great family, great mummy, great daddy, you've got it all there. And here you are stuck with the pigs in their filth, their muck and everything that goes with it. And he's, you know, scooping the stuff out of the inside of the pods. And then he has this, this real revelation in his head, this light bulb moment. Hold on a second. What am I doing? Why am I struggling here? Haven't we all done that? Haven't we all got to that stage in life where sometimes we say to ourselves, why am I doing this? Why am I, why am I struggling here? For, for us as Christians, sometimes we do that quite a bit, don't we? Once you stop reading your Bible and once you stop praying, you start struggling. I say this to every Christian, every young Christian coming through. Read and pray. Read and pray. Read and pray. Once you stop doing those things, you start to struggle. Once you stop talking to the Father, once you stop, the Holy, the Holy Spirit stops using you through the Scriptures to speak to you, then you start slipping down the hill. Interesting how many times that I speak to, you know, Christians and they'll say to me, oh, nice, and you know, would you pray for me? Yeah, sure, no problem. What's wrong or what, what do you need me to pray for? Oh, I'm struggling. Why are you struggling? I don't know. Okay, let's, let's, do, let's do a bit of investigation then. Uh, what's your prayer life like? Oh, I don't do much of that at the moment. Right, okay. What about reading the Bible? No, I hardly do that either. Wow. Well, then there's your problem. There's why you're struggling. How can God bless you? How can he do anything for you? If you number one, you refuse to talk to him. And number two, you don't read about him. Satan loves it when you stop that. And here this young, young lad, he gets, he gets this revelation. He gets this bright light that comes on and he goes, boom. Wow. My dad is all these servants and they're eating better than I am. In fact, the food to spare, I'm sitting here. I'm in mean, all this pig muck and it's stinking and, you know, these pods. Oh my goodness, he said, I'm sick to death eating these things. I could be back home again. I could go back home and I could really do this. So here he is. Foreign land, lovely home, back home. He's got a lovely mum and dad who love him, who love him absolutely dearly. And the servants have a great deal more than he has. And he's in the, in the pig muck. You know what? Really, when you look at that wee piece of scripture, for us as Christians, how things change when you're away from the Father. Isn't it? You hit rock bottom. You go away from the Father, you hit rock bottom. That's what happens. That's why I think this church, this is why I believe this church is the house of restoration. Because people hit rock bottom, this is the place where they come to be restored and be back with the Father. 
I absolutely believe that with all my heart. This is the place where God is going to restore people. And I also believe that this is the place where Satan hates us the most because he doesn't want us to restore people. So this is why I would say prayer has to be quintessential in absolutely everything that we do. In verse 17 of Luke 15, it tells us, the young man came to his senses and thinks, when he, uh, sorry, when he comes to his senses, he says, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. How many Christians have a heavenly father who have got all this power to their hands and yet struggle? And I know that there are times that we are Christians, we, we, we go into this little desert sometimes and we struggle and we do struggle. We all do. We, we've all done it. But we have a father who will bring us out. If you're struggling, then you go to people and ask them to pray for you. You see the prayer of a faithful servant of the Lord? You can't beat that. That's incredible. Oh my word, that is so incredible. And so this young man gets himself up and off he goes. But it's the discouragement, isn't it? It's the discouragement when Satan really starts to hit you. One time we used to organise, <coughs> in my former church, we used to organise a, a fun fair every year to raise money for projects that we were doing. And I was at the very heart of organising that. So I thought it'd be a good idea if we'd done an inter-church tug of war. <laughs> now nothing gets dirtier than that does. Oh my word, you have no idea how much that drums up. The very worst in the pits of Christians than something like that. And so here I am organising all these teams from the different churches. We've got, I borrowed this big tug of war rope, right? And we have two teams. My church's team is at this end. The other church is at that end. And I could see this little man walking up and down. Everybody going. So I asked, I'd made clipboard and everything. And I'm saying, right, you're. So I'm looking at this guy thinking, who's he? What's he doing? So I ran right down and looked at this guy. And you know what he was doing? He was saying, you're going to lose, 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 you're going to lose. I said, hey you, get away back up there out of your way. Go on. Do you know what he was doing? He was discouraging the guys. He was saying, you know, those guys are stronger than you. He was actually saying this. He said, those guys, they're all took a war team, by the way. He said, them boys are all, you're going to lose, you're going to lose, you're going to lose. You see how Satan does it? He comes round in your ear and he'll say, you know, you're not good enough. You can't do it. You're never going to do this. I love that song we sing up here. You know the one that says, he's never going to leave us. You know that one? You know that one? We all sing it, don't we? He's never going to let you down. And this young man has suddenly realized there's a father back home who loves him. There's a home back there that's going to be so welcoming. He's got food and he's going to have this wonderful place to live. It's all about restoration, isn't it? Because that's what this piece of scripture is all about. It's about restoration. There's an interesting thing in all of this as well. And it is an interesting picture, but God takes no joy in the death of the wicked. God takes no joy in the judgment of sinners, but he takes joy in those that come to him. What's it say? And just before the scriptures, it tells us um, in the lost coin, I think it is, isn't it? Um, uh, the lost sheep, sorry. And it says in here, I tell you that in the same way, 
there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner. He rejoices. God takes great joy in us, but he takes no joy in having to um, judge those who are going to sin. But take the picture back to the house. The wonderful, lovely house that sits on a lovely farmland. And the guy said at the beginning, the father is sitting at the table and he's having a cup of tea in the morning and he's looking out the window and he's saying to the wife, he says, I wonder where the lad is. You see, the father never forgets about you. You're always in his mind. So the father's sitting looking out the window and he's looking up the lane and he's looking, he says, I wonder where the lad is. I wonder what's happening to him. Is he okay? Oh my goodness, he said, this is awful. It's a terrible thing. I wonder, is the young fellow okay? Is he, is, he, is he doing all right? What's happening to him? And then it happens one day. One day he's sitting and he can look up the lane and in the distance he sees the young lad coming. And so he shouts to the wife, would you believe it, it's him. He's back. Wow, what rejoicing. I mean, the, the mother, she can't believe it. Are you sure? At your age, you can't see anything up there. Good Lord, you can't even hardly read the newspaper. How can you see him in the distance? Always takes a woman to throw in a wee spanner into the works there, doesn't it? You don't know what you're talking about? Yes, I do. You want to be in a conversation with Merlin and I sometimes? It's quite interesting. <laughs> Merlin is the person that keeps my feet rock falling on the ground. She really does. She tells me as it is, and that's what's needed. You have to understand, in the Near East, that was a terrible thing for a man of his age to be running up there. And he has to pull his tunic up. You know, so he's showing everything off. He's showing off the bare legs above, above the old wobbly knees. He's showing off his underwear and everything. That's shameful. I mean, it was terrible. And you can imagine this man, this young man is walking through the village. The very village that he was walking in. People were talking about him before he left. They're talking about him now, but when he's coming back. And there they'll tell you exactly how it is. So he's walking through the village home. He's filthy rotten. He's lost an awful weight. He's skin and bone. And the people are going... This is shameful. How on earth you can walk back to your father again is just unbelievable. How can you do it? You shamed your father. It's terrible. And so the father can see him. So he's running like mad to stop these people. They take the shame from him. He's taking the shame from him. Isn't it amazing how the father takes the shame? Jesus died on the cross. He took the shame. Isn't it? So in the Near East, it's terribly embarrassing for a man to be running up there, over 30 to be running up the street or up the village. He wants to take the shame from the son. And he's running like crazy towards the son. And he's shouting at him, son, you're back. You're back. You're, you're here. Wow, he says, you're back again, son. I can't believe it. You were dead and now you're alive. But the father takes the shame. You know, when, on, whenever we used to do lay witness, and you've heard me talk about this in the Methodist Church, and I did it for about 30-odd years, we went to a church down south. I'll not say where, because I wouldn't want anybody to be mentioned. So I'm going to give this guy a fictional name. His name was Mick. Good one, isn't it? You like that? It took me a long time to think about that. So, um, Mick is a real character, believe you, man. He was full on. He was a really, really interesting character. I'll tell you what, this guy was a wheeler dealer. In fact, the folks in the church told me that he came from a Romany family, from a gypsy family. So this guy, 
was full on like he was dodgy as get out in this time, you know. And uh, he came into this wonderful saving grace of Jesus Christ and it changed him beyond belief. I mean, this man was between night and day and he got so excited about the Lord. And one of the, the folks that I was staying with, they were telling me about him, you see, and, and when we were in the church, I met him and we were standing chatting. I really, loved, I really wanted this guy to come up to, to port it down, to tell people a story, because he had an amazing story to tell. But I never got that opportunity. It never came for me. But he was, this, the guy I was staying with was telling me, he said, you know, we used to have house groups. And one night in the house group, there we all are. He said, we're all sitting around on the sofas and the chairs and everything. The coffee table's in the middle. We're all having coffee and we're discussing the Lord. He says, and I'm leading this. And he said, Mick gets so excited about the scriptures. I mean, he, say, he just falls over in the scriptures. He loves them. He gets so excited about the word of God. And he said, here we were talking about this particular piece of scripture. And all of a sudden, Mick goes, oh my goodness, he says, that's effing amazing. <laughs> and he said, everybody in the place went, ah! And the whole place fell silent. And Mick looked around at everybody and went, oh, he says, I'm so sorry. Because apparently before he became a Christian, he said, the words, the, the profanities would come out every other word. He said, really shocking. And he struggled to get this bit under control. And he said, Nigel, it was the most humble thing that I ever saw that night. Because he said, he just set his Bible down onto the coffee table and he moved the chair back and he got on his knees in front of everybody. And he began to pray and he said, Lord, I've done it again. I've let you down. And he cried. He said, Nigel, he cried his heart sore that night. In fact, he said he sobbed so much. He said, we were all worried about him. And he, there he was. And then he said, would you believe? He said, the rest of the group all began to cry with him. Because they could feel the pain that he was going through. But they could feel the graciousness of him. They could feel that he was the... That here this man was saying before God, you know what, Lord, I've let you down again. The Father takes the shame. How good is that? You know, even a seasoned Christian like myself has to hear that message over and over and over again. And there's not a time I read this particular piece of scripture. And I don't know why the Lord put this on my heart today. But there's something in this that we all need to hear. Because this young lad is on his way back. He's filthy. He stinks of pigs. His face is all covered in muck. He's covered in muck. His clothes are hanging off him. He's a skeleton of the lad he was before, but his father hugs him. He hugs him. He doesn't care whether he stinks or not. He doesn't care what he's done in his past. He doesn't care whether he can smell the pungent smell of manure off him or whatever. His father hugs him and he takes the shame. Wow, I just love that. The father takes the shame. That's because our God, he just loves us. And he takes this wonderful joy in every one of us. Isn't it great when you can just look, think that God looks at and he says, you know what, I just love, I just love you. I just love you. Zephaniah 3 and 17 tells us, the Lord your God is your, in your midst, a mighty one who will save and he will rejoice over you with gladness. That's a powerful word, that. He will rejoice over you with gladness. 
If you're feeling at the stage where you don't feel good enough before God, if, you, if today you're feeling that, you know what, I've done things in the past, how can I ever be back to the person that I am? And he says, I will rejoice over you with gladness. That is amazing. Psalm 141 verse 11 tells us, the Lord makes Sorry, I need to put there. Sorry, the Lord takes pleasure on those who fear him and those whose hope is in his steadfast love. Wow. Absolutely amazing. How things change when you're away from the Father is incredible. And you know what? There are Christians who are out there and have fallen back. They've struggled probably with stuff in their churches in the past and they're down rock bottom. In fact, they don't go to church. The minute I'm praying for one guy, I just want them to come to this church because I believe he walks through them doors, this man's going to get restored. His name's Mark. Pray for him, will you? Because I really believe the Lord wants him to be in this church and his family. Abraham Lincoln, who was the President of the United States, was once asked, um, what would happen if the Confederates... Uh, well, sorry, he asked, was asked this question, um, what would happen to the Confederates when the war was over? And Lincoln responded by saying, we will welcome them back like they've never been away. We will welcome them back like they've never been away. When you're away from the Father and you come back, he said, you know what, I'll bring you back. You are mine. I paid a big price for you, you know. I took the shame for you, you know. You're welcome back. I love you. I love you more than life itself. And the older son was actually really crazy and mad about this because when you can, the father is welcoming his son back, he shouts to the servants, you know, go get him, a, get him a, a cloak on him, get him a ring on his finger, get sandals on his feet. And all of those are symbolic really because servants didn't wear sandals and they certainly didn't wear rings or robes. So he wanted to set him out differently. He said, son, you're my son. You're my son. And I want you now to come back. You're part of this family. But he said, Dad, you know what? I will be happy just being one of the servants. I don't, I don't deserve anything else. I just want to come back and live here. I can be one of the servants. I'll just be like them. No, son. You're back. You were dead. Now you're alive. So he puts a ring on his finger. He puts sandals on his feet and a robe on him. And they're going to have a really good time to get the old fatted calf. Always feel sorry for the old fatted calf. It's always the fatted calf, isn't it? Let's kill the fatted calf. Oh dear, poor, poor thing, like, you know. Yeah. Let's have a party, fatted calf. The thing's running up the field away from it, you know. Oh no, not another one. Here we go. You know, the poor old fatted calf gets it again. Steaks all round, boys it here, barbecue on. <laughs> it's not fair, but that's what happens. And the older son comes back, and he's not happy. Kind of feel sorry for the older son, you know, the kind of way, you know. It's like... Like I was the youngest in my family of five boys, or six boys, sorry. And um, I got away with blue murder. <laughs> so I was so my brothers tell me, I don't believe that. I, you know, but they said I got away with blue murder. And uh, it's always the older boys got, got beat for whatever it was, but I never got it. They did, you know. And um, my, my brothers would always say, you know, you got away with blue murder. One night we were all sitting, after my mum had died, and we're all sitting around. <coughs> obviously sorting all things out, and we're having a good laugh about the things that happened in the past. And my brothers would say, you know, Nigel, you were the blue-eyed boy when I came to it. And uh, I said, oh, I don't see how, you know, because like, as I was telling you last week about my brother who was four and a half years older than me, well, he, <laughs> this is terrible, right? Because he used to tell me that um, mum and dad wanted a girl, and I was to be the girl. And they bought all these clothes for girls and they used to dress me up like a wee girl, which they never did like, but he used to tell me this, right? <laughs> <laughs> I 
so you can understand how it was in my house. It was hard work. The older, the older boy gets it tough. He comes back and he really can't handle this because he's been really obedient to his father. He's been there. He's been doing the work. But his father says, no, you know what? You're always going to have it all. You're going, it's all yours anyway, son. It's there for you. And God says, I value you so much. God values you. He values you so much beyond belief. But when you're away from the Father, things do change. But the Father says, I will take the shame for you because God delights in us. I love that, but what God delights in us, that really blesses me so much. So I went and got a few of the verses together. Maybe you want to look these up. I know I'm going to fire a whole lot of verses at you, but lift your Bibles up and look with me. It's good when you read them off for yourself. Psalm 30, or sorry, Psalm 37, verse 4. Let's look at them, okay? Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you your desires of your heart. I mean, that's just amazing too, isn't it? If you want to look quickly then, sorry, we're, we're going to go to Psalm 43. And then I will go to the altar of God and to God my exceeding joy. And then Psalm 70, verse 44, 70 verse 4. May all who seek you rejoice. Wow. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those whose love uh, may those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. God is great. There's no doubt about that. And sorry, going back one, um, Psalm 63, verse 3. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. God delights himself. He is delighted when he looks at us. You know, like... When, when we were coming up here, Aaron was laughing at the fact that he had to move the microphone down. And he said to me in a whispery voice, Papa Smurf. Okay. <laughs> and which I responded to Aaron by saying, God made me and he made no mistakes, Aaron, you know. <laughs> and God made me and he made you and he made no mistakes. Because he made you as you are. You are unique. You know, your DNA is unique. The iris you have in your eyes is unique. Your fingerprints are unique. Never to be repeated again. Never to be repeated again. You are a work of art. And if today you're at this place where Satan's been giving you a hard time, remind him you're a work of art. Never to be repeated again. Wow. That's, that just amazes me about the Father, the God we have. You're never to be repeated again. That's incredible. You might look like somebody... You might, your children might look a wee bit like you. I came from a long line of very small people. My father was a small man. My mother was. My grandfather on my, my father's side was small. My grandfather and my mother and my grandmother on my mother's side were small. My uncles were all small. I'm afraid we're all from small people, small stock. But I have no problem with it. I'm dead on. <laughs> There's only one thing gets me. Really tall people. I can't hack them. <laughs> They're not of God. <laughs> God delights in you because he has made you the way you are. He made you the way you are. You are unique. And you see when the sun comes back, he takes the shame. How about that? You know, I always say to Christians who have been struggling and they've gone away from the Lord, I've said to them, you know what? 
You'll, God will bring you back like you've never been away. He'll restore you like you've never been away. You only have to read the Bible to see it for yourself. King David. Now, there's a prime example of what I mean. King David had a terrible affair with a lady. And he thought God didn't see it. But you know what? God did see it. And God sent the prophet to tell him. And he said, you know what? I saw everything you've done. And then he humbles himself before God. And you know what God did with him? He restored him back to the great judge of Israel. That says a lot. I remember listening to um, one of these, um, somebody complained about one of these uh, televangelists in America. And he got up on TV and he told the whole world that he had had an affair with one of us, whatever, you know. And everybody was complaining about this man. It's terrible, shocking. It's, it's really awful. And I said, so he fell. But God will restore him because God will forgive him because that's what God does because he loves us. How about that? What a God we serve, eh? Isn't it? People who restrict God and what he can do. And I always say, God's a miracle maker. God is a miracle creator. Amen. Amen. Not right, Tim? God is a miracle maker. Yeah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who welcomes us back. The God who has given us absolutely everything. Lord, even when we fail, when we fail, Lord, you say, don't worry, come back to me. I know you hate the sin so much, but you love us so much that you forgive us so much. And Lord, through this message today, help us to restore other people who are out there needing restored. Help us to bring a message to a world that really needs you most of all right now. Father, help this church to become the house of restoration, Lord, that people's lives will be transformed into the most amazing, amazing things. So, Lord, bless us today, Lord, as we continue in our worship. And, Father, we pray that you will just touch us through the worship, as you already have been. Lord, let it be even more now. Father, thank you for the words that you give us through the scripture that encourage us. Then, Lord, let it bless us this week in Jesus' name. Amen.